the book of Proverbs. And I want to share with you a thought tonight that the Lord has had on my heart for a few days. Proverbs 22, verse 6, familiar verse of scripture we're going to deal with. Uh, you know, we've been dealing with the home, with the family, and uh, I was going to deal tonight with rearing children, and I had a lot I was going to say about it, and uh, the Lord kind of redirected my path. I'm going to still deal with rearing children, but maybe in a different way, and uh I believe it'll be in a way that'll help everybody in here tonight, whether you're a parent or not, whether you have your children raised or not, because uh, we're going to look at a few things that the Lord has shown me over the last few days in study that will assist us in just being good people, a good Christian. Um, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train up a child. Train up a child. Now, Proverbs emphasizes in a few different places the discipline of a child. But if what you're looking for tonight in me dealing with uh, rearing of children is when to spank one, what to spank one with, those sorts of things. That's not what I'm preaching on. The Bible said to train up a child. And if you look at the etymology of that word, train, it's a picture of bending. It's like taking a green branch of a tree and bending it, bending it until it grows in the way that you've bent it. That's the idea. Now, I thought a lot about what I ought to say. No doubt everybody in here that has children wants their kids to grow up and be happy, healthy adults that are a productive member of society. Amen. And then we certainly want them in church and serving God with their family. But look around. The chances of that happening are pretty small. Uh, the chances are not so great. So how is it that we can improve the chances of our children becoming what we want them to be? Now what I'm about to say may seem oversimplified, but I promise you it's not. The secret sauce to parenting, the trick to it, the inside edge is to figure out what sort of a person you want your children to be and then do your best to be that person yourself. That's the trick to it. The trick to it is to daily live. Let me say it to you this way. When it comes to imparting scriptural truth to your kids, it's better caught than taught. Uh, you can tell them what to do, you can instruct them on what to do, but you'll do a lot better at showing them what to do. I was reading this week, I'm teaching on 
leadership in our Bible college this year and we're using John Maxwell's book on 21 Indisputable Laws of Leadership and this last week we were dealing with the law of the picture and in the law of the picture John Maxwell says that when you're a leader your people that you are leading will inevitably try to emulate or imitate what you do and he made this statement and I thought it was great He said, no matter what we taught our children, they insisted on behaving just like us. Isn't that the truth? Regardless of what we tried to teach them, they insisted on behaving just like us. And I'm going to tell you tonight that if you want children that are going to grow up and serve God, then what you need to be is a real Christian at home. You need to be genuine and true. You need to do the right thing and live the right way and allow your children to see what a real Christian is and what a real loving relationship is because in the end, it doesn't matter how many days you bring them to church, none of that matters if you're not living it at home. What they're being exposed to at home is what will always come out of them every single time. It amazes me. People say, I don't understand what went wrong. They say, we had our children at church every service. Well, if you bring them Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that means we get them four hours a week. How much of that time do they pay attention? Probably not the entirety of the four hours. Amen. That means that all the other hours in the week... Those hours are the most important hours. They're the ones that they really learn from. So I want to teach you something tonight. And I might not do as much preaching tonight as I do teaching, but uh, I got a hold of this this week. And man, I tell you, I'm going to teach you four words. And if you'll employ these four concepts tonight, it can transform your Christian life. You can, live, you can leave out of here if you'll get what I'm preaching. I really wanted everybody that I pastor to be here tonight because I thought it was that important. If you'll really tune in to me for the next, give me, give me 20 minutes of your life right here and allow the Lord to do something in your heart. I don't care. You say, well, I've already got my children raised. It don't matter. The, all, I've already talked every bit of what I'm going to talk about children. Now I'm going to talk about you. And I want to help you. I want to invest in you tonight by helping you with what the Lord helped me with. Four words. The first word is conviction. The second word is principle. The third word is preference. And then the fourth word is standards. We're going to talk about those four words. Uh, And I believe that it's what is missing from Christian life. Now let's first talk about convictions. What does it mean to have a conviction in your life? What does it mean when you say, I've got a conviction about this or that? Well, simply put, what the word conviction means is that you are convinced of something. Webster says it this way. The Webster says it's a strong persuasion or belief. It's a state of being convinced. Uh, In a legal setting, think about it. 
when the gavel falls and the man that is standing there is found guilty, what do we call him? We call him a convict. He's convicted. That means that the jury was certain of his guilt. They eliminated all doubt. They became completely convinced. And that is what conviction is. It's something that you are 100% convinced about. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the area of conviction and being saved, that's all it is. We mystify conviction. We say, well, it's uh, your heart's got to beat a certain way. You got to cry a certain amount of tears. Uh, but really all conviction is, is when you become convinced that you're guilty of all your sins, uh, then you're convicted. That is conviction, is once you are convinced that, that you're guilty of all your sins. Uh, but there ought to be some things that you and I are convicted about in our personal lives as living like Christians. Let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is that with the exception of very few things in the modern church age, with the exception of a very few things, Christian people live, act, do the same things that lost people do with the exception of very few things. Most of you can say tonight, well, I don't drink. I don't take illegal drugs. I don't run around on my wife. All those are great things. That's great. But other than this three or four big things, you're living your entirety of the rest of your life just like a lost person. You're watching the same things. You're listening to the same things. You're going to the same places. You're dressing the same way. There's no other except for three or four big things. There's really no difference. And in all reality... There's a lot of lost people that ain't doing them big things. There's a lot of lost people that ain't drinking, ain't cheating on their wife. There's a lot of lost people that ain't uh, living, you know, doing drugs and all that stuff. So really, can we really say, boy, we're doing good. Uh, uh, We're not committing adultery. We're not committing murder. Uh, we're We're not drinking. Boy, we're doing good. Really, there ought to be some convictions beyond this three or four big things in your life that set you apart as a Christian. Now, I want to to impress this on you. What I'm fixing to preach to you should come from an inward desire to be holy. One of the problems that we have in the independent Baptist movement is we have preachers that enact standards. And I'm going to talk about standards here in just a minute. And the only reason that anybody in their church follows them is because they're afraid not to. They're afraid the preacher will find out and then they're in a mess, right? If the preacher finds out that you know, you're supposed to be acting a certain way and you ain't acting a certain way, oh, I'll be in a mess. The preacher will find out about it. But what I'm preaching about you tonight, to you tonight is this. You ought to have a desire in your heart to live for the Lord that would cause you to want to put some convictions in your life to do that and to make, make your relationship with the Lord uh, a little better. So let's talk, about, let's talk about convictions. Where do we find them? Well, number one, they should not come from the people around you. But that's a frequent trap, isn't it? Most people develop the convictions of the people they're around. That's because we are people that fall into peer pressure, both good and bad, very easily. Did you know there's a lot of people that do the right thing at church not because they want to, but because they're peer pressured into it. They, they don't want to embarrass anybody else at church. And so they put on a religious act, but it really don't come from an inward desire to do the right thing. That's a problem. Uh, because you'll not stick with it 
in the dark and when you're outside of the church world, church area, all of a sudden you won't be able to tell you any different than anybody else. Am I right? Because it doesn't come from an inward desire. So you shouldn't just adopt the conviction of those that are around you. And secondly, they can't be based, conviction shouldn't be based on your experiences. And people say, well, you Baptists are too hard on drinking. I've, I've, I've drunk alcohol all my life and it's never caused me a problem. See, what you're doing is you're basing your convictions on your experience. That's dangerous. That's not a good place to get, that's not a good place to get your, your, own, your own convictions. Popular opinion, uh, I think about what your friends say, what experts think, all of those things are bad. Why? Because they're human-based. So where do we get our convictions? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. So here's where you get your convictions from. Your convictions should come from the Word of God. Everybody agree with me? If the Bible says it's right, it's right. If the Bible says that it's wrong, it's wrong. And there's thousands of things that we can learn from the Bible that there are verses about justice that says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And we can read about it right in the Word of God. And we as Christians should be 100% convinced, that means convicted, we ought to believe it without any hesitation or doubt that the Word of God is right in our lives and that what God said He meant and whether we live it or not we believe it's the truth uh, that ought to be a conviction in our life everything that God said in his Bible we should be convinced of amen those things should be solid lines in our lives convictions that we're not going to cross convictions that we will never back up on things that we are totally convinced of and there should be some of those let me ask you something tonight what are the convictions in your life what are the things that you say, bless goodness, I will not. This is a hard line. I have a conviction when it comes to, what is the conviction of life? Think about it. Think about it in your personal life. Are there anything beyond those big ones I named? Oh, I've got a conviction I'm not going to drink. I've got a conviction I'm not going to commit adultery. I've got a conviction that I'm not going to commit murder. I've got a conviction that I'm not going to have any other gods before. I've got a conviction that I'm not going to take the name of the Lord God in vain. You're just naming the Ten Commandments. Uh, have you got any convictions beyond that? Things that you say, I will not be involved in that because it hurts me as a Christian and it hurts my testimony and I've got a conviction and I've got the Word of God right here. The Bible says it. I'm not going to do that. I'm talking to you about how to live a good Christian life in front of your kids. Because in the end, that's all that matters. Because they're going to live how you live. Chances are they'll have a marriage like your marriage. Chances are they're going to go to church kind of like you go to church. I've seen it a thousand times, Bruce, a mom and daddy that comes only on Sunday morning. And I know it's a Wednesday night crowd, but maybe they're watching on Facebook and the mom and daddy that only comes on Sunday morning, their kids quit church completely. 
If a mom and daddy comes Sunday morning, Sunday night, but don't come Wednesday night, their kids will be Sunday morning only Christians. The kids always come in a little bit shy, seems like, of where their mom and dad was. God gave you those kids to raise them. And so I'm asking you tonight, what are the convictions in your home? What makes your home stand out? How can your kids uh, grow up and say, boy, I was raised different than all my friends. Uh, my, my, my home had a certain amount of convictions. My mom and dad were real. Uh, they weren't fake. They weren't pretend Christians. They really meant business about serving God. Uh, what are those areas in our lives? So there's the word conviction. But then there's the word principle. I'm, I'm fixing it. I'm fixing to show you something. Tune in. Fix to show you something. This word principle. Right here is where a lot of people miss it. They say, well, don't tell me what I can and can't do if you don't give me chapter and verse. I got to have chapter and verse. Well, I understand the thought process behind that. But let me ask you something. Let's think about, for just a minute, let's think about drug use. I believe by conviction that it's wrong to snort cocaine. Everybody else believe that? Can we at least believe that in 2023 that it's wrong to snort cocaine? All right. I didn't say smoke weed because I was afraid some of you wouldn't agree with I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I surely we'd all agree with that too. But we can all agree tonight that it's wrong to snort cocaine. But I cannot give you a verse of Bible scripture that says thou shalt not snort cocaine. It's not in the Bible. I can't give you chapter and verse for that. People say, well, don't tell me what something's wrong if you can't give me chapter and verse. All right, where's your chapter and verse for drug use? Where does it say I shall not shoot, thou shalt not shoot heroin, thou shalt not use crystal meth? It's not in the Bible. So there's some things that we have to believe on a principle. Now watch it. I'll tell you what is in the Bible. Paul taught the church at Corinth that they should obey the ordinance of man. All right, that means Christians should abide by the law. That's a principle. That's a principle that, taught, that Paul taught but it's a principle that can be widely applied to a lot of things. And one thing it can be applied to is the use of illegal drugs. And so if for no other reason we could say those drugs are illegal, and because they're illegal, I as a Christian cannot participate in that because there is this principle that Christians should obey the law. Does that make sense to you? It's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not. It's an overarching principle that, that allows us to know uh, that we shouldn't do that. Now, what if they legalized Because let's get real, they've legalized marijuana just about everywhere in the United States. It's practically legal in North Carolina. For all intents and purposes, am I telling it right, Jason? It's practically legal in North Carolina to smoke marijuana. So what if they legalized it? 
Well, there's more Bible principles. You got a Bible principle that says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a Bible principle. We get that from the Word of God. And we know that we shouldn't do anything to our body that is harmful to our body. And we certainly shouldn't allow another substance to overtake our body as far as being being overtaken in a way that we're intoxicated. And so we know that that's a Bible principle. So even if it was legal, we can still apply those Bible principles. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a, uh, just a broad example of how principles can be applied in one's life. It's kind of like the scientific principle of buoyancy. Do you know why stuff floats? Because there's a scientific principle of buoyancy. And that principle is applied to aircraft carriers as well as pontoon boats. There's a certain amount of mass and surface area and that is that's a law of science it's a principle of buoyancy well it's the same way in a Christian's life there are certain things that are principles in the word of God you may not have a thou shalt you may not have a thou shalt not you may not be able to come up with a particular verse but there are these overarching principles that we should employ in our life and say, you know what, that's not good. I shouldn't do that because there is this principle in the Word of God that teaches me not to do something like that. Now, the Oswe, when I, I remember when we, me and Rachel went off to college, I was preaching. We went off to college and Tim McGraw was coming to the Ramsey Center. And I loved Tim McGraw. Man, son got Indian outlaw. Him and Faith Hill was going to be at the Ramsey Center. And as far as I know, it's the first place they ever kissed. They come out and sung a duo together. And right before the lights went off, they kissed. And man, I thought, oh my goodness, I've witnessed history right here. I can't believe it. Him McGraw and Faith Hill's going to be. I was preaching. Just, uh, I was in college, maybe 19 years old. Well, it got time. They, Blackhawk was there. Nobody even remembers who Blackhawk is now. They were the opening act. And uh, when they got done, in between, they had that intermission, Jason. So I went out and got a, and, and to get a Pepsi and some, some popcorn or whatever. And I ran into some folks that go to a church in Yancey County. I'd never been so ashamed in all my life. Held that popcorn up like him. I went back to my seat and I told Rachel, I said, you don't believe what I've seen over there. And uh, she said, well, they're here too. <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't feel too bad. They're here too. I said, I'll, I'll never go back to another country music concert. You know why? I can't show you in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not go to a country music concert. I can't show you that. But I can show you principles that say to abstain from all appearance of evil. I can show you principles that say that we should live a life that is separate to the world and to love not the world and neither the things that are in the world. These are principles that can be applied in a broad way in your life in particular. Now let me ask you a question. What principles are you living by? Are you a person of principles? When, when your kids see you, do they see somebody that's got some principles in their lives uh, that's living out and being different uh, and striving to serve Serve the Lord better. Are there some principles in your life? That's something worth asking. There's convictions. And then there's principles. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 
Adam says in Genesis 2.23. Watch this. And Adam said, speaking of Eve, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. Would you agree with me? That is a conviction. Do you think Adam was convinced that Eve was different than him? <laughs> yeah, I'd say he was convinced of that. I'd say Adam was 100% convinced that Eve was a different creature than he was. Probably didn't take very long to convince Adam of that. But now, watch this principle he's going to apply. Look at this next verse. Verse 24, Adam says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. This is what Adam said. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So the conviction in Adam's life was Eve was not like me. Eve was made out of me, but she's not like me. And he said, because she was made out of me, but she's not like me, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one. That's the principle. Now watch this. When Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce, he applies this principle to a totally different subject. Adam here was not talking about marriage and divorce, but Jesus uses what Adam said uh, later, and he applies it to marriage and divorce as an overarching principle that a man and a woman ought to love one another. You see how principles work in our lives. So it's not just, I've got thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's all these principles that ought to guide our lives. Then the third word, I told you four words, we're halfway done. Third word is the word preference. Now, there's some things, Brother Neil, that I don't have chapter and verse for. There's some things I don't even have a solid Bible principle for. it. But I still feel like it's the right thing to do. Those would be preferences. Did you know when Paul wrote that thorny chapter about marriage and remarriage and sexual relations... What is that, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 or 2 Corinthians 7, something like that? He wrote that, that chapter on how to deal with those. And, and boy, when you, when you go to preaching through that chapter, there's some tough stuff there. But you know what Paul says again and again? He said, I speak this with permission. In other words, Paul says, best I can tell, this is my opinion. This is how I feel about it. This is the way I feel that this ought to be. So for instance... Y'all still with me? For instance, I prefer to wear a suit and tie to church. I can neither show you a Bible verse nor even a Bible principle that says a man ought to wear a suit and tie to church. I just prefer it. I think it shows respect. I, think, I just think it, it shows that you care. It, may, it means you go out a little out of your way. So for a preacher, I certainly feel like the preacher ought to wear a suit and tie to church. It's just a preference that I have. I'm not going to fall out necessarily with anybody over it. I can't show you any Bible, but it's a good preference that I have. Let me give you another one. Every year in October, when Halloween rolls around, there's some people on Facebook that refuse to celebrate Halloween as a conviction. They're convicted. They're absolutely short nobody should. For me, it's more of a preference. 
I don't, I don't, I don't get into Halloween. I don't see the, I just don't see the appeal in it. I think it deals with a lot of dead stuff and dead people and dead things. But if, if you want to, that's my preference. You can have your own preference. I'm not going to fall out with you having your preference and I've got my preference because I can't show you any thou shalt or thou shalt not. I can show you some, some, some precepts, but maybe they're not enough precepts really to fall in the area of conviction. So that's my preference. But now let me ask you something. What kind of preferences do you have? What do you prefer? You see, what I'm trying to say is, for the most part, the reason we're losing our children. Now, I realize there's, there's exceptions. I don't know what happened to some kids. I should be honest. I look at preacher James Beaver and Nola's kids and how they turned out, and I think, I don't know what happened. They, as far as I know, they raised them right. They were good people. I, you know, I don't know why they're not in church. I don't know why they don't live for God. There are situations like that. But for the most part, kids end up being what you really are. Not what you are at church, because they see through that. They see through mom and daddy being, matter of fact, it probably makes it worse to hold a double standard. It probably makes it worse for you to be one way at church and another way at home it just—it absolutely confuses them and gives them a distaste for anything to do with God. So what I would say is, if you're going to come to church, live it every day of your life in front of your kids. So they've got a desire to emulate that. But in order to do that, you ought to have some convictions. Uh, you ought to have some principles, uh, some things that you won't do because the Bible says not to do it. Uh, you ought to have, my goodness, some preferences, uh, some things that you want to do that would set you apart and make you a little higher. But then I want to talk to you about standards. Now, what's the standard? Here's the thing about this, Jason. If you're walking, let's say a cliff is our convictions. Down there, sin. Then a standard is like a fence that keeps you from ever getting close to the ever getting close to the the edge. Now we live in this church world where anybody with standards is called a legalist. Don't even get me started on it. Okay. But let me say a couple of things about standards. Let's say, for instance. All right, I'm going to give you a for instance. Let's say in your previous life, before you got saved, you had a drinking problem. Then you might set the standard in your life that you will not go into a restaurant that serves alcohol. That might be a reasonable standard for you to set because you know you have a problem with it. Your flesh has a problem with it. So you set the standard that you'll not go inside a restaurant that serves alcohol. That's setting a fence to keep you away. Now, other people may have the liberty to do that. I've never drunk alcohol. I can go into Outback. I can go into any of them restaurants. Don't bother me not one bit. That does not call to me. But if, it's, if you've had a problem with it in the past, maybe that would be a reasonable standard for you to set in your life. There's other standards that we could set. There are fences that keep us from getting too close to transgressing our convictions. Now let me ask you something. What kind of standards do you have in your life? I'll tell you. 
I can remember when I first started out in the Independent Baptist Movement. <laughs> I tell a lot. I tell a lot of bad stories on me and Rachel, but you got to remember I led her into a lot of wayward ways. I remember a movie go out. I first come out. We wanted to see it. Whatever. First started preaching. We go to movie theater and just pray. Billy Mitchell didn't find out. <laughs> I knew he was going to call me on the carpet if he found out I was been to the movie theater. And I can remember hearing preachers preach these standards. They wouldn't have a TV in their home. It was a standard. That's fine. I ain't got no problem with that. Matter of fact, I think we'd have all been better off if we'd have never got a TV in our home. Somebody say Amen. Ellis Ray held that as a standard. Never had a, never had a TV in his home. We'd go buy houses that had antennas sticking out. And Ellis would say, look yonder, the devil's in that house. I see his tail sticking out. I see his tail sticking out. He held that as a standard. He never pushed it on nobody else, but he held it as a standard. Let me tell you what happened. Y'all ain't going to believe this. Some of y'all just is going to think I'm, she's getting ready to think I'm the most ancient person on the planet. But I remember when VCR tapes came out. Hey, man, somebody, anybody else? And somehow, Zeke, to those same men that preached no TVs in the house, all of a sudden it was okay to have VCRs. And they even sold videotapes of themselves preaching. They'd sell a videotape of themselves preaching about how not to have a TV in the house. We life at that now. I remember some of those men, when the internet first started, they were still preaching against TVs, but they had the internet in their house. And I'm telling you, honey, the, hey, TV ain't never come up with what the internet can bring into your home. You can forget about it. All I'm saying is, when you hold a double standard, what it does is it turns the next generation off. So if you're going to hold a standard, bless goodness, you better keep it. I've got a lot of respect for Ellis Ray because he held the standard. Dead and gone now, but he held the standard. He didn't have no smartphone. He didn't have no internet. He didn't have no use for no computer. He didn't want none of that in his home. He held a standard on it. He didn't wishy-washy around on it. I got a lot of respect for somebody to hold a standard like that, bless goodness, and toe the line and stay with it and have some standards in their life. That don't have to be my standards. You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together my own set of standards. And by the way, let me say this. It's not a good thing for you just to have my standards. You ought not let the preacher make up your standards. You ought to come up with your own standards in your own lives because you want to do the right thing. What are my standards might not be your standards. You see what I'm saying? But the problem is, by and large, the church has no standards. We got no, we got no standards. We got no standards. Now, I'll give you something. Three things right here about standards. Number one, a standard, a standard. When it comes to a standard, it ought to be placed not on the cliff, but far away from the cliff. Proverbs 4.14 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it. Turn from it, pass away. So you ought to set your standards far enough away from the cliff that you're not tempted 
Let me just give you a Bible example. How many of you remember Joseph? Joseph got down there in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife said, Joseph, why with me? Now that wasn't necessarily an invitation to fornicate. It could have been in those days in Egypt, they had lounging couch, couches. You can read about it uh, in the book of Esther. And they would lay on those couches after a big meal and sometimes just lay around and fellowship. It could have been that she was just inviting Joseph to lay there and fellowship so she could seduce him further. But you see, Joseph had a standard in his life that he would not lay with her, right? that he would not be near her. That was a standard he had enacted to keep him away and to not commit adultery. He had enacted that standard. I've got, you know, a few years ago, Mike Pence, when he was vice president, he said he held the standard that he wouldn't be alone with a woman. Everybody in the media made fun of him. They said, well, can't he be alone with a woman? What kind of a dirty old man is he? Two-thirds of them journalists were in an affair when they were making that report. They themselves couldn't stand to be alone with women, but they wanted to nitpick Mike Pence. I'm just simply saying, there ought to be some standards in your lives, things that you say, I will not do. Why? Because it might wreck me if I do it. Some fences that we build. I know this is strange. Standards. Standards ought to be way away from the edge. You know what our problem is? We want to be too much like the world. Too much like the world. Let me say this. A standard should never be the point. I'm going to share this with you and then we'll give an altar call. I got... I got another page worth of stuff to say, but I'm done right here because I'm losing somebody. I'm going to say this right here. Let me tell you what independent Baptists have been bad to do. Some of you disagree with me right here that's been in it a long time like me. Brother Neil's seen it. I know Zeke growing up in a pastor's home, he's seen it. We enact standards, but then the standard becomes the point. See what I'm saying? Then it becomes all about the standard. The standard hadn't ought to ever be the point. The standard ought to be something that is there to help us serve the Lord better. But it should never be the golden cow. It shouldn't be the thing we worship. Am I right? Me and Rachel, boy, I tell you, we've been in a lot of circles over the years. We started out, son, I got hooked up with the meanest bunch of Junkyard dog preachers you've been around. They's against everything. And I thought it was so cool to be against everything. And I was, I was against everything. Ain't nothing satisfied me. If you're doing it, it's wrong. Unless you're running and shouting in church, anything but one good cold drink of water was a sin, bless goodness, and you ought to get right about it. And Rachel, she ran around with a crowd of ladies that outwardly had it together. But the problem was, Neil, the standard had become the point. And I never will forget one day what she said. She said to me, Bradley, she said, them women won't wear no britches, but they sure do gossip a lot. That's what she said to me. She said, they talk about everybody that walks in. She said, I don't think they like their husbands. 
And you know what? That was true for a lot of them because they ended up leaving their husbands. The problem was the standard had become the point. They had begun to work. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? They had begun to worship the standard. Now don't, don't go out here and accuse me of being liberal. I think we ought to have standards. That's what I'm preaching on. I think the standard ought to be high. I think the standard ought to be way away from the, the, the cliff falling over into sin. It's a lot better to put a, a fence at the top of a cliff than an ambulance at the bottom. I think, well, but at the same time, we can't get to where we're nitpicking and it's all about the standard. Let me give you, let me give you one more example. Can I give you one more example? I have always, as a man, loved short hair. Always. My entire life. When I was a little kid, and uh, 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger came out on Predator with that flat top haircut, I said, give me a haircut just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's the way I wore my hair. My daddy'd say, you got beautiful hair. Why don't you let it grow out? I didn't want to let it grow out. That's the way I like to have my hair cut. High and tight, buzzed off on the sides, flat top. I mean, right now, what I've got on top of my head is a mop of hair compared to the way I wore it my entire life. But by any standards, my hair is still short. I believe on a Bible principle that it's right for a man to have short hair. I believe Paul said that even nature itself teaches us that a man, if a man has long hair, it's a shame. So I believe I've got a solid Bible principle that you ought not to be having long hair. But you see, what we do with that in, in independent Baptist circles is then we won't start measuring hair. You see, we make it the point. Instead of saying, I'm going to keep my hair short because I've got a Bible principle for it. I think it's the right thing to do. And if I grow it out, I look worldly. And so I don't want to look worldly. But instead of doing that, instead of just stopping there and saying, okay, I've got a standard. I'm going to keep my hair cut. I'm going to be groomed. Look good. I, I'm going to keep my hair cut short. Maybe not as short as Billy's, but short. But we can't stop there. That's the problem. Then we go, you know, Gabe's hair is a little too long, really. Down on his ears right here just a little bit. Got a little hair on his ears here. You know, Gabe really ought to have a haircut. Why don't, preacher, why don't you get Gabe a haircut? Preacher, have you noticed Gabe's hair is too long? Preacher, I'd like to talk to you about Gabe's hair. Gabe's hair has really become an issue. You see, it starts being, instead of it being a personal thing to us, where we've set a standard in our life to serve the Lord, we get worried about everybody else. I'm just preaching. The standards we enact in our life ought to be out of an inward desire to better our relationship with Christ so that our children would watch our relationship and go, wow, mom and daddy's got something that's real and I want to grow up and be like mom and daddy. Their, their marriage is happy and they're ha- they've got, they, really, they love Jesus at church and they love Jesus at home. They talk about the Bible at church and they talk about the Bible at home. That's the kind of parents I want to be like. I want to grow up and be like that. It'll not happen unless you have some convictions, some principles, some preferences, and some standards. There's got to be a difference somewhere. Let me ask you this. I'm getting ready to give it all recall. Let me ask you this. What's different about you and your lost neighbors? If we came in your house tonight 
what would we be able to say? Oh, I can tell. If we just walked into your house, you're not home. We just walked into your house tonight. Nobody told us that it was your house. We just walked around and went to look in. Would we be able to look in your house and go, wow, this, this, this is a Christian home. Look, it's a Christian home. You can tell by what's, what's around and the standard that things are being kept at. And you can tell how this is a Christian if people see you out and living your life day to day, do people go, wow, that's a Christian. I can tell that that person's a Christian by the way they're living their life, what they're talking about, and the standards they hold, or basically we just living like everybody else. When your kids go to school, their friends go, man, there's something different about them kids. They, they're raised in a different kind of home than us. My, my, listen. I don't pretend to be an expert on rearing children. I mean, I got two rugrats still at the house, and they may go crazy any day. Reagan, she's got that look in her eye. I don't know (laughs) what might happen to her. But I have raised up three kids that love the Lord and will serve God. That's not anything. I'm not bragging on me and Rachel. I'm just saying... I've got a little bit of cred right here, all right? I've, I've, I've seen some things and done some things. And I'm telling you, the secret to it is being real, the same thing. If you've got to fake it, don't fake it. If you've got to set a standard that's going to be some kind of big fake and you don't really believe it, then don't set it. Because they'll read through it instantly. Just be real. Let's stand our feet. Father... Thank you, Lord, for helping us to preach tonight. I pray, Lord, that some folks got some help out of it, like you helped me this week as studying on it. Lord, help us to have some convictions and some help us to have some standards and some Bible principles and some right preferences. Lord, that we could live a life in front of our children that would make an impact. Do that now as only you can in our midst, and we'll thank you and praise you for all that's done in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Really, is there anything that's that much different than the lost people that are your neighbors in your life? I wonder tonight, there might be some mamas and daddies that say, I want to live out some convictions and some standards in my home and some principles that are different. I want to live a life in front of my children that would inspire them to be Christians. I'd like to come that, get in that altar or maybe bat your seat or whatever you want to do. I'd like to get along with God right now and say, God, that's the kind of life I want to live. Give me some convictions. Give me some principles. Help me, help me to be a standard bearer. Help me to set a standard. Help me to be somebody that my children would watch and say, I want to be just like daddy. I I want to be just like mama. They got such a happy home. They live such a real life. It's genuine. The standards they have, they really believe them. It's not just because somebody told them to have that standard. They, They really believe it. These others coming.